All right. You know, every, uh, every week that John is gone, I love, wor- I love leading music, by the way. It's fun. But every week he's gone, I just appreciate him that much more. You know? Um, but that was a nice little break. I uh, heard of a church in the city that has a smoking break halfway through the service. Not a bad idea. <clears throat> um, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, and as we do that, we uh, are going to dismiss the bud. So today, uh, this is our one day this summer that we do not have our sprouts ministry. Uh, it's, we're calling it a furlough week, just meaning uh, we need more volunteers. Um, so if you would like to volunteer for the kids' uh, ministry, we can use you, and we would love to use you. Uh, and it's a phenomenal ministry. It really is. It teaches our kids a lot. So sprouts, actually, we're kind of like reversing this. Younger kids are staying in here today. Kids first through fourth grade are going to go to Buds um, as, we, as we worship. Matthew chapter 6 in your Bibles. And let's pray and we will dive right into this passage. Father, we come to you as our God, as our King, as our Creator, and as our Father. What a great truth on this Father's Day that you are our daddy. You're the father of the fatherless. You're the father of those who've had great dads. You are our father. You are our good father, our perfect father. We thank you for adopting us as your sons and daughters. God, we ask that as we take time to look into the word here, that you uh, love us in such a way uh, that, that we hear your voice. Speak to us this morning. Speak through me, speak through the pages that we're looking at, the words, do something in our hearts, do the work that that we can never do on our own, and that is a spiritual work, convict us of our sins, move us toward the gospel, let us see Christ this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34, and before I read this, um, don't blurt it out. Uh, sort of in your mind, what are you worrying about right now? What are you worried about? What are you anxious about? What, what, what things are in your path that you're looking at? With that in mind, keep that in your, in, in your minds and let's read. <clears throat> Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory was arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. How hard is that? Do not be anxious. Don't worry. How difficult is is that? This, by the way, is a command of Jesus Christ, of our Lord, the one who we call King. And He commands us. Let's, Let's receive this as a command. Do not worry. Don't worry about tomorrow. How difficult is that? If anything calls for grace... If anything calls for us to say, like, to fall on our knees and say, oh my, I'm, I'm so fallen, I'm so far away from the commands of Christ, I'm so disobedient. If anything causes us to call out for grace and say, God, please just save me apart from my works, it's this right here. How hard is that? Do not worry in the world that we live in. And then we hear Jesus say, look at the birds. And we're like, I would love to be a bird right now. Like birds don't have mortgages and they don't have the boss that I have and they don't have the ex that I'm dealing with. Man, I would love to be a bird and just like float around and flutter and fly away. Like Forrest Gump, make me a bird. Remember that? Look at the lilies, the grass. Well, they don't have the stress that I have. I mean, we live in a world with troubles. We live in a world where there's rent that is due, where there's a car that's falling apart, or we need a new, a new car, where our shoes are worn out and we don't have money to buy shoes, or we're literally maybe worried about dinner, what we're going to eat tonight, or what we're going to eat tomorrow, or we're looking at our bank account, just trying to like, keep from going into the credit line, wondering what happens when we spend our entire credit line. We live in a world of troubles. Remember what it was like to be a kid? Carefree. Like, you could just live life. and That's why people do drugs. Because we're always trying to, like, take our minds back there to that sort of carefree, worry-free life. So just for a moment, if we can achieve that. Man. So is this even possible? Is it possible to follow Jesus' command here, to be obedient to Christ in this? To live a life where with the troubles, the the reality of the life that we're living. Not running off to a monastery, be a monk or out into the wilderness and separate ourselves from civilization. But like in this world, in this life, is it possible to actually be obedient to Christ here and to not worry? So what we're going to see here is that not only does Jesus give us a command, but he also gives us promises that go with the command. And then also thereby the cure to worry itself. So that's where we're going today. Two qu- or three questions to begin. Number one, what is worry? Just so we're on the same page, I looked up the dictionary definition. Worry is defined, or anxiety as it's translated here, defined by this, to allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. To allow your mind to dwell, to sort of sit, rest on difficult things, on troubles. So, that's, so it's a mental state. That's what we're talking about here, what we allow our minds to do. Now, second question is, is this. If it is a mental state, is worry a medical problem? Because, we, of course, we live, I don't think this is a shocker to anybody, we live in a world where there's more prescriptions for anxiety than 
then, you know, then you've got problems. I mean, the prescriptions are soaring. Um, is, is worry a medical problem? Now, this is a, a, a disclaimer and my best attempt to answer that right now. Is it possible, I'm going to ask it in a different way, is it possible that like other parts of our body that our brain could be tweaked and, and sick and not quite right and we are exceptionally prone to disability, disabilitating times of anxiety and, that, and, and through God's grace we have medication to help that? Very possible. So with everything I'm saying today, I don't want you to hop off of your five pills a day and just believe God and trust God to take care of it, okay? If you do want to get off medication, like talk to your doctor, be careful, talk to your church, have accountability set up around you as you do so. Um, however, I also want to put it this way. Is it also possible that we over-medicate and self-medicate what could be symptoms of sin issues? All right, so I just want to kind of, I want to angle it that direction and talk at it from that direction this morning, if that's helpful, helpful for you. Now, with that said, third question is this, is all worry a sin? Is all worry a sin? The easy answer to that right now is no, not according to that definition to allowing one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. There's actually a type of quote-unquote worry that would actually be sinful not to, not to have. Uh, for example, Paul, in the letter to the Corinthians, he said, that, like, I've got a lot of issues, problem after problem. He says, but uh, above all else, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches. So Paul here has his mind set in dwelling on difficulty or troubles within eternal matters. The way he describes it, I face daily the pressure of my concern for the church. So then we should have a type of concern, a difficulty. This isn't, this isn't saying that we just go carefree through life, happy, never worry about the eternal state of anyone. No, there is a, an eternal concern that we should have that is good and holy and right. What we're getting at here, though, is a concern or dwelling on difficulty within the temporal realm. So what Jesus is addressing here is not the eternal, but rather the temporal. Worrying about temporal passing things. So that is where we're going today, and that is what Jesus is specifically saying, do not worry about. So let's get into it. Let's look at the passage, verse 25. First word, everybody say it, therefore. Say it. Thank you. Now, a little quick seminary education here. If you see the word therefore in your Bible, always ask the question, what is the therefore therefore? Okay, everybody say that. Let's look at it. Everybody say it with me. What is the therefore therefore? Yes, I felt like we were in VBS for a second there. Um, what is the therefore, therefore? So here, here we go. Therefore, all right, is a connecting word. It's a logical connecting word, meaning the stuff that just came before it is, is now pouring into and making sense of the next section that it's leading into. So 
all of what we talked about last week, laying up treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth now, play into this command. Are we tracking here? So, meaning, meaning this, since there is no lasting joy in temporal stuff, temporal treasures, and since the treasures that we have in heaven are exceedingly better than anything that we can imagine here on this earth, and since we cannot take the temporal things or our temporal problems with us into the next life, all of that, therefore, okay, do not worry. There's the command. Do not worry about the temporal. Now, we could misread this like some guys I went to high school with and flunked out, still living in their grandma's basement, playing video games all day, spending every penny that they have, no savings account, no thought of tomorrow. And we might look at them and say they live a carefree life. They don't have a worry in the world. I mean, you just live, like you don't even, like they don't, they don't have any food for tomorrow, but they don't care. They'll find something. Now, that would be a misread of this passage. Specifically, Jesus does not say, look at it, do not care about your life. So, we should care about our life. We should care about our financial well-being, our savings, our retirement, uh, what we're going to eat tomorrow, meal plans, whatever, our budget. We should take care of the things that God's given us, including our life, and we should steward, steward it all well. Okay, so let's care about our life. What Jesus is saying, though, is don't worry about your life. Two totally different things. Don't worry. Don't, don't, don't spend uh, useless time, mental time, just resting on these problems or, and difficulties that you have in your life. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't worry about tomorrow. Now, the opposite personality is also true. We also might have the person who's worried about everything. Like, they are worried about tomorrow. They are worried about their stuff. They're worried about what they're going to eat tomorrow. Uh, Not only that, they're worried about what they're going to eat when they're 80. Like, where they're going to live when they're 80. Whether or not the economy is still going to be, like, giving them some kickback somehow. They worry about everything. They're freaking out about everything. And then there might be someone even here today who says, like, brother, um, you have no clue the, the problems that I'm facing in my, in my life. You have no clue. Like, try scraping together what I've scraped together and then tell me not to worry. You know, try growing up with nothing and, uh, and, and selling drugs to put food on the table and then come back and talk to me about, about worry. Try losing everyone that I've lost. What we're reading right here are the words of Jesus. Who, God in this world, did not come to us as a filthy rich man. But rather, God in this world came to us with a poverty that would look the po- make the poorest in America look filthy rich. God in this world. What it said about Jesus is that he had no place to even lay his head. Couldn't find a place to sleep. 
yet he never once worried. So, so he's our authority this morning. He's the one we're, that we're looking at. He's the one that we're hearing from. So there's the command, do not worry. But he loves us too much to just leave us with a command because if we were left with the command in and of itself, do not worry, it would really be bad news because we all struggle with worry at times and we can't just change it on our own. And so he doesn't leave us with the command. He actually then gives us promises, specifically two promises that we're going to look at. Number one, he says that your life is in God's hands. Your temporal life, as well as your eternal, your temporal life is in God's hands and then the second command is this. Since your temporal, or second promise, since your life is in God's hands, He will sustain your life as long as He wants you here. He will meet your needs. He will take care of you. Look at, look at how Jesus says it in verse 26. He says, look at the birds. So I imagine Jesus is sitting there, maybe some birds flying over, and He says, just look at them. Look up. Look at the birds. Look how God takes care of them. Look how, look how, they, look how they are fed. This, this reminds us of, of Romans chapter 8, which says, if God did not spare His own Son, how much more so will He graciously give us all things? What God wants us to hear this morning is this. If, if, if we can trust God with our eternal lives, then how much more so can we trust God with our temporal lives? Jesus Pointing here to the birds is not, is not sort of comparing our stresses versus theirs as if they have more to worry about or more things going on or more stress. His point is, is in verse 26. If you look at it, are, are, you of not, are you not of more value than they? Look at the birds. Are you, of not, are you not, I can't speak, of more value than the birds? Listen, Christ died for you. Are you not worth more to God than the birds? Like, so saying this, if, if, you, if God sent His Son, His very own Son, to live a righteous and perfect life on your behalf, go to the cross on your behalf, take the wrath of God, rise from the dead, justification secure, are you not worth more than the birds? Do you not think if, if the birds got it that God will give it to you as well, that He will provide for your needs. Now, the picture here is also useful in this sense. The birds don't just sit back getting worms dropped into their mouth, right? But they actually do flutter out, fly down, find the worms. They, they work all day. And even with that, it seems as if Jesus is saying that even their ability to do so, even their work to find the worms is in and of itself the provision of God, the gift of God. So we're not like Jimmy Stewart in the movie Shenandoah who uh, promised his wife that he would pray before every meal and his prayer went like this. He said, Lord, we cleared this land, we plowed it, sowed it, and harvested it. We cooked the harvest and it wouldn't be here if it wasn't for, uh, and it wouldn't be eaten if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same for the food that we're about to eat. Amen. Now, what we begin to realize is this. Um, who, who is it that gives you the energy to walk out of your house and work a job? Who is it that gives you the mental state to be able to save a little bit of your income for a rough time? 
You see, God is the giver of all good gifts, even our ability to do the things that we can do. And we recognize him as such, and he provides for our needs. And this leads us then to the main point in verse 27. Look at it, verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? What he's saying is this. We live in a spiritual kingdom. This is all about the kingdom of God that is here and that is coming. And we are citizens of it now. And it's not a kingdom like we thought. It's not something that's physical that we can touch right now. It's a spiritual kingdom. And that's what we're part of. And it's an eternal kingdom. So we essentially live in two worlds right now. The world that we can see and touch and then the kingdom that exists. And God will move us from this world into the next fully whenever He wishes. And when He does that, we will all rejoice. What Jesus is saying is this. Worry, anxiety, is not going to make a difference one hour, give or take, either way, as to how long you're here. God is over your life. He is sovereign over the very breath that you take. If he wanted to, right now, he could take your breath from you. He could turn your heart off. And so as long as you're alive, what that means is this. It means God wants me to be alive today. That's a reassuring thought. And no amount of worry is going to add or subtract an hour from the timeline that God has predetermined for your life. So this first promise that we receive is that God, or our, our life rather, is in God's hands. The second promise is this. The second promise is that the basic needs while we live this life will be met. Look at verse 28. Why are you anxious about clothing? Now clothing in the ancient world was very important. Today we live sort of in a, we, we have clothes all over the place. Clothing is not something that we typically need. But in the ancient world, clothing was, was a little more rare. And, it, and the reality of going naked was a reality of not having any clothing. What Jesus is saying here is the basic needs, the, I mean, the, the stuff that you need outside of food, the sustenance for life, but, but also your other basic need, needs like clothing, shelter, transportation, uh, a decent pair of shoes to walk in, clean underwear, whatever it might be, your basic needs, God will provide for you each day, each step of the way. Look at the flowers, he says. Look at the, look at the flowers. Not even the, the great King Solomon, this great king with all of this money, not even Solomon had as much swag as these flowers have. God takes care of them. And if God meets the needs, the daily needs of the flowers and the grass, how much more so? You, His sons and His daughters, will He not take care of your basic needs as well? Now friends, listen, we also have to hear this point as well. We're talking here about meeting needs, not luxuries. God has promised to take care of our needs. Uh, intern Paul was looking at a $1,000 pair of suspenders for his wedding. Um, Paul, I'm sorry. God might not provide 
those suspenders. For you. He might. I don't, sometimes he does give us lectures. I don't know. But he, he's promised to meet our needs. Will we trust our Father as he sustains our life? No amount of worry will change any of that. Now, a question that comes up here, and a good question is this. Well, what about those who do starve to death? What about those who do lose their homes? Those who, who do go barefoot? What about Christians who are martyred? Christians who, who, who truly lose everything? And the answer is this. This is not a hard, fast rule that God must follow to give us everything that we need. This isn't a, this isn't a binding on God, okay? There are times that God in the Scriptures and then throughout church history, there are times where God calls His sons and daughters into extreme suffering, extreme trials, so that we may represent God well while we go through suffering. I think of those who have been tied to stakes and burned. I think of those who have been starved to death. God gives us, and He might give you this opportunity to walk through a time of excruciating suffering where even your basic needs are not met so that you may demonstrate to the world the glory of God as your eyes are fixed on that kingdom that is to come. As you say, my, my, my treasures are not in this world or even in keeping this life, and so if you're going to burn me, then burn me because I have a citizenship elsewhere. However, friends, even that is not the norm for Christians. I mean, we can sit probably and share story after story after story how God truly does provide for our basic needs. I mean, even this last week, my wife and I, we, we, we were sort of at the end of our money for the week, and we had nothing, and we had no food in our fridge, and Erica brought food to our house. And we're like, what? And I'm like studying this, and I'm thinking, okay, you're just doing that just to remind me that that's true. Like, God does come through for us. He really does provide for our needs. And so trust Him with that as He sustains your life. So what are the causes then of worry? What causes us to worry? Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a uh, rising physician in London around uh, the 1920s, uh, walked out of the medical world and became a preacher, much to the astonishment of the media, his colleagues, his friends, family, and asked why he did it. His response was this. Out of all the patients that he saw coming through his office, treating them, he said the vast majority of them had no physical issues. The vast majority of them had spiritual issues. So they're coming in, as an example, uh, with, with bad liver. Well, the, the problem is you're drinking too much. Well, why are you drinking too much? You see, you see his train of thought there. And so he, he, he said, I mean, there's, there's certainly a place for doctors. He realized that God was calling him into another place to fight on the other end of that. So then looking at this, 
Let's, let's think of it in, in that sense. What is the cause of worry? See, if we were to write it down on a piece of paper, if I passed a paper around, write down what the causes of worry are in your life, we would come up with a lot of circumstances. My job, my lack of a job, um, I'm not sure what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm not sure if I'm going to have enough money to buy the clothes for my kids that they need. Whatever that might be. We think of circumstances. And then we think that if those circumstances were to change, that we would be free from worry, right? If I could just get through this one thing, then I'll be good. I won't have any more anxiety. Like if I just had enough money coming in and enough this and enough that, then I would be fine. Friends, think about your life. I mean, I think we could probably share our own stories to prove that that's not actually true. Circumstances change, problems change, problems don't follow us. What seems to always follow us is anxiety and worry. We find something else to attach our worry to. So since it's Father's Day, I'll quote my father. He used to say something like, the CEO in a massive corporation, a massive struggling corporation downtown, has about as much worry as the little old lady who can't keep kids out of her flower bed. Meaning it doesn't really matter uh, what it is that's in front of us. Worry follows us. And we latch our worry onto whatever that might be. So then we're, we're moving circumstances out of here. Now we have a clean slate. What now are the causes? What are the real spiritual causes of worry? I have six that I want to draw out from this passage right here. Number one, a failure to believe that God loves you. It's that simple. A failure to believe that God loves you. What is the core sin of humanity? What is the sin that has wreaked humanity for all of our existence? What is the sin that really at the core grabbed Adam and Eve? The serpent comes along, tempts them. God doesn't really love you. There's a reason he doesn't want you to taste that. It's because he doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want the best for you. They bought the lie that God doesn't love them. What was the sin of Israel in, as, they're, as they're wandering through the wilderness? Crying out, grumbling, complaining. You're, you, what, have you brought us here to starve? Is that why we're here? What was their sin? Do you love us? Does God really love us? What is our sin today? What is, I mean, our number one cause for worry. It's that we forget that God actually loves us. We actually, we actually forget that. This is why Jesus here alludes to the, the birds and the grass. What he's saying is, look, if God cares to take care of the birds and the grass, don't you think he will take care of you, who he loves, who he loves personally, who he came into, the, he sent me into this world, Christ, to die personally for you? Do you think that God doesn't love you? He died for you. He loves you. And He will take care of your needs. He knows what you need. We forget that. The second cause for worry that we gather from this text is that we're gazing upon the wrong things. This goes back to last week. What, we're, what our sights are set on. Treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth. And when we worry, when we're caught up in anxiety, what we're doing is we're gazing on temporal things and not eternal things. We're looking at the wrong stuff. 
So when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness to turn a stone into bread because Jesus was hungry, and Jesus responded, man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Meaning like, look, bread is important. I get it, okay? The things, that, whatever it is that's facing you right now, that is important. But it's secondary. It's secondary to the kingdom of God. To the spiritual matters of life. We're gazing on the wrong things. Number three, we have a failure to grasp our faith. Look at verse 30. He calls those of us that struggle with worry, O you of little faith. O you of little faith. You see, worry at its core, one of the causes is that we fail to fully grasp our faith. We fail to put faith in God. In the same breath right here, he says, look, even the Gentiles worry. Meaning the pagans, those outside of the covenant. The pagans worry. So what he's saying is this. Worry is not just a bad idea for your health. Worry, at its core, is essentially a pagan practice. It's a faithless practice. We fail to grasp our faith. And what do we fail to grasp our faith in? That's number four. We fail to grasp grace. I think of the story of Mary and Martha. Jesus is with them. And Martha, if you know the story, Martha's in the kitchen like busy whipping something up. Running around, pulling her hair out, putting flowers on the table. trying Trying to do something nice for Jesus. All the while, Mary is just sitting right there listening to Jesus. And Martha's freaking out. She's like, Mary, why don't you get up and do something? Jesus' response to Martha was, Martha, he says, you are anxious. He uses the word anxious. You are anxious or worried about many things. Then he points to Mary. Mary has chosen the better, to sit and listen to my words. You see, we forget grace, even in our good deeds, all right? Even in the way that we come to church, in the way that we think of a religious activity, religious deeds. We think of it in terms of deeds, things, stuff, busyness. This is why some churches get so busy doing so many things. It's, 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 it's anxiety. It's worry. It's a failure to fully grasp and wrap our minds around grace. That Christ has come and He's done the work on our behalf. And now we sit at His feet and we look into His face and we listen to Him and we worship Him and we follow Him. Worry at its core is a failure to grasp grace. Be still and know that I am God. Number five, worry is forgetting that God is our Father. We see this in verse 32. He calls God your Father. Again, it's like he just wants to drill this into our thick skulls. Jesus says, God is your Father, your Heavenly Father. He knows what you need. And so just as any father would give their child what they need, won't God give us what we need? Will we trust God as our Father? Number six, worry is forgetting the promises of God. We forget His promises. I can't think of any promise more fitting 
during times of worry. So for me as someone who is, I, I, I feel like I'm prone to this. I'm, I struggle with anxiety and worry. I can't think of, more, of a more fitting promise which I find just regularly on my lips. All things work together for good to those that love Him. All things work together for good to those that love Him. Here's why. Because when we worry, we say things like this in our minds. We say, yeah, okay, I'm going to trust God with that. But the reality is we know that that could still happen. So, our, our, I mean, the worst that we can imagine, it could still happen in God's sovereign plan for our life. Tragedy can and probably will happen in our lives. The promise that God has given us, which is like, blows our minds. Like, I don't think if it wasn't for this, the greatest mind in this world would never have thought of this. To take even the tragedies, even the worst things that can happen in us, and to turn it and use it for our good. And so, as we are struggling with worry and we're panicking, we're thinking, this could happen and that could happen, the answer is this. Yes, it could. It still could happen. But even if it does it will be for your good. God will use every tragedy in your life for our, your good. And guys, I have seen it in my life. I have been through tragedies. I have seen some of the things that I would have at one time said, like, I, I don't ever want to experience that. I've, I've experienced it. And what I've seen going through tragedy and coming out of tragedy, I've seen this. The reality, I would never want to experience that pain again. I would never want to go through that again. However, I would never trade the good that came out of that. I would never trade that experience and lose the good that God brought out of that. The greatest tragedies in life, God turns and uses for our good. And that is the promise that we rest on as we struggle as we doubt, as we worry. So, what is the cure to worry? Well, we've been kind of hitting it, but I want to specifically drive in the point here. What is the cure to worry? The answer is Jesus Himself. That's the big answer, and then let me explain it. Jesus Himself is the cure for worry. Look at verse 33. But seek first, He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Now, we've defined the kingdom of God as the rule and the reign of Christ. So what Jesus is saying is, seek first me. Seek first my rule and my reign in your life, in this world, in the world that is to come, in the kingdom that is to come, the here but not yet. Seek first that. Seek first the proclamation and the spread of the gospel. Seek first the righteousness of God. Seek first the glory of God. Seek first the the, the beauty of Christ. Seek first the face of Christ. Seek these things first. And then what you find happen when you're seeking first the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of Christ, the proclamation and spread of the gospel, the glory of God... What happens is this. Now, every single circumstance in life, even the ones that we're worried about, if we go through them, they merely become opportunities to display, reflect, and show off the glory of God. 
Look how faithful God is as I suffer. Look how good God is as He provides what I need. We just make much of God in every single situation in our life. So we seek first the rule and reign of Christ. We seek first His kingdom. And then second to that, all of, everything else just follows. God, God will meet your needs. He will provide. As long as He wants you in this world, in this earth, seeking His kingdom first, He will continue to sustain your life. He will continue to provide what you need. We are called then to be a peculiar or a strange people. You see, the Gentiles, he says, the pagans, they worry. But we are called to have faith, a daily faith in a God who will provide as we seek first the kingdom of God. Therefore, look at verse 34. There's that connecting word again. Everybody say, therefore. So, there, so all of this stuff, all right? We, we, we've just been tracking through big stuff here. Now, he, he repeats the command again. So with all of that said, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. It's sort of like this humorous, like, look, tomorrow, you're going to have problems tomorrow, okay? Like, there are going to be things that you have to deal with. But you've got stuff today to deal with. So just, like, focus on, like, right now, the hurdles that you've got to jump, like, the things that you've got to do, you've got to go out and just focus on that right now. And let me take care of tomorrow. Let tomorrow be tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. So we get things done today and we refuse to worry about tomorrow. Look, there is a sense where we, we commit to God once and for all, once and forever. You're my, that's conversion. You're my God. I believe in Christ. But there is also a sense where we daily, I mean every day, every morning we wake up and then every hour of that day and then every minute of that hour, we daily are committing ourselves to God, saying, like, like I, I refuse to continue in unbelief right now. I refuse to continue in this kind of worry, in this kind of anxiety, and I'm going to have faith. I'm going to put my faith, I'm going to trust in my Father. And guys, there is a sense where God's grace forgives us once and for all. But there's also a sense where God distributes His grace every day, every hour, every minute of every hour and gives us the grace that we need in that moment, the strength that we need to move, to live, to be sustained. See guys, the, the cure for, for worry is not uh, mental strength or self-actualization. Our cure for a worried lifestyle is who God is. It's the proclamation of the good news. It is the gospel. It's, it's this great news saying God has come near you. He has saved you and He is providing for you and He's bringing you home. It's the message of who God is and in particular it's the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Here is the wonderful truth that we are left with. We are not called to fix ourselves and then God will come along and help us. We're not called to get ourselves together to think right, to trust in Him, and then He's going he's to make things happen for us. No. 
even when we worry, even when we are like straight up, crazy anxious, worried about tomorrow, we're, we're, we're paralyzed by our anxiety, when God looks at us, He sees Jesus, who when He had no place to lay His head, didn't even worry. He sees Jesus when He looks at us. And then along with that, He's coming along and He's saying, and oh, by the way, Every day I'm giving you the grace to look more and more like Jesus so that you can be made in the likeness of the Son. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He said, Paul, Paul was suffering big time. And he says, he says, even with all of this suffering, huge ways, he says, this suffering is, is no reason for despair for me. It's no reason for despair. Why? Because I know whom I believed. And I am convinced that He will keep me. Not I know what I believe. Not I know who I am and that I can get through this. No. There's no reason for despair, He says right now, because I know who I believed. I know who I, know who I believe. I know who He is. And I know that He's going to keep me. I know that He will sustain me. Our hope and our cure against worry is the good news of Jesus Christ Himself. The good news that breaks in from the outside. It comes in our ears. It, 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 it hits us from the outside in. This great gospel of Christ now, some of you might not know Jesus, and that really is your problem. You see, all of this so far that we have been reading, even this entire Sermon on the Mount, all of it applies only to Christians. If we don't know Jesus, we have much to be concerned about. If you don't know Jesus, you have much to worry about. Not only are we left with this world and only this world and only the things of this world that are fleeting and passing. Not only are we chained to our desires for stuff, but we're also chained to our sin. And we will stand before an infinitely holy God who is just. But the good news is this. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. He sent the very essence of Himself. God came into this world to live a perfect life on your behalf, to die in your place, to rise from the dead, assuring your, your, that you would be made right with God and all who believe on Him will be saved. Turn to Christ. Look to Christ this morning even those of us who have believed the gospel many years ago. We need to believe the gospel today. We need to believe that Christ is enough. We need to believe that, 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 that we truly are adopted and that He will not let us go. Even if we try to run, He's going to keep us. He will sustain us. And when God wants to call us home, He will call us home and we will rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to uh, come into this text and be reminded that we have no need to worry in this life. 
Uh, that's not because we don't face tragedies. It's not because we don't have problems. But it's because we are part of a, a, a king, kingdom that is much bigger than anything that we can ever imagine right here in this world. God, I ask that you give us the grace to be obedient to Jesus in this. That we truly uh, live lives that, that, that look more and more like Christ who had no place to lay his head, yet never spent a day anxious. Lead us to the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.